Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. episode, we're going to begin a series about runaways in the Bible. These are stories in God's Word about people who ran away because of many different reasons. Fear, sin, unbelief, rebellion, worldliness, and hard-heartedness. These examples in the Bible teach us many things. We learn what they learned, how they grew in their faith from it, and how their attitudes and lives were transformed. Running away from the Lord happens to both believers and unbelievers. But the Lord is merciful, and He patiently waits, and He wants the unbeliever to turn to Him to find life, forgiveness, and salvation by trusting that Christ died for their sins and rose again. And the believer runs away, and our Lord is patient with the believer too when they run away. As the believer runs away from the Lord and from His will for their lives, but This does not mean when a believer does that, that they lose their salvation. Many wander away from the Lord after trusting Him as their Savior, and they run away from Him, and they live for this world, and they live like the world, and they live for themselves instead of for Christ. But each and every believer is safe and secure in Christ forever. Christ loves the believer with an eternal love, and nothing could ever separate the believer from His love. And so out of that love, the Lord patiently waits and wants the believer to turn to Him and yield to His will for their lives to find the peace and strength and purpose in life that only He can give. One thing we learn by the examples of runaways in the Bible is that no one can actually run away from the Lord in this life, no matter where they go and no matter how far they might run. Psalm 139, 7-10 says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Jonah chapter 1 verses 1 to 3 read, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The first example that we're going to look at in this episode and in the next is Jonah. He's an example of one who ran away from the Lord. This may sound like a pretty obvious thing to say, but I believe Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. When you read this book, you find that Jonah does not paint himself in the most flattering light. You see his disobedience and his hard-heartedness toward the people of Nineveh, yet he was open about how he truly felt and what he was thinking and what he did. 
Jonah writing such an honest book about himself shows that Jonah finally had a change of heart and mind from the things that the Lord taught him and showed him. And Jonah desired to share that experience with the nation of Israel so they might change too. Because at that time, they were all just like Jonah in their attitude toward the nations and wanting them to experience God's judgment and not God's salvation. Jonah didn't skip over what he did, though, or what he was thinking, because it teaches something. The mistakes we make with our beliefs and attitudes and actions and the lessons we learn from them are often something God uses in our lives to help others. Now, the book of Jonah is full of miracles. And unfortunately, for this reason, the book has been ridiculed, questioned, and doubted by skeptics. It's been designated by many as myth, legend, and allegory, but we shouldn't run away, as it were, from the miracles in the Bible. The clear miracles within the book include the storm, the selection of Jonah by Lot as guilty, the sudden subsiding of the Mediterranean Sea, the great fish appearing at just the right time, the preservation of Jonah, the gourd, the worm, the east wind, and the greatest of all, the repentance of the entire city of Nineveh. Not only is the book of Jonah full of miracles, the entire Bible is filled with account after account of miracles. Our Lord's earthly ministry was filled with miracles. If we were to exclude the miraculous from our Bibles, we wouldn't have much left. Our God is a miraculous God. We must believe in the miraculous. Even our eternal destiny depends on that. In order for you to be saved from the penalty of your sins, to be saved from an eternity in the lake of fire and have eternal life, you have to believe in the miraculous substitutionary death and resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. That Christ died for your sins personally, was buried, and rose again the third day. But when we know God, we know that nothing is too hard for Him. And nothing is impossible with God. God is all-powerful and all-wise. And with simple, childlike faith, we are to trust God, trust His Word, and thus it's easy to believe all the miracles in His Word. We know that all the miracles of the Bible were simple for our great God. And so we know that God did create everything in the universe by the word of His power in six literal 24-hour days. God did deliver the Israelites from the Egyptians by parting the Red Sea, and they all walked through on dry ground. Elijah really did call fire down from heaven on Mount Carmel. The axe head that Elisha caused to float in the water, it really floated. Christ did multiply those five loaves and two fishes to feed the 5,000. And Christ really did walk on the water. And Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. He spent three days and three nights inside its belly. And afterwards, Jonah was God's instrument to bring about history's greatest revival and the greatest miracle of all. Christ really did rise again from the dead the third day. If we choose not to believe one of these miracles, it casts doubt on all the rest of the miracles of the Bible. We are not left with the option to pick and choose by faith we know that they all happened exactly as God has said. The name Jonah means dove. 
It's an ironic name because Jonah did not have the heart of a dove. He had hardened his heart toward those outside his nation. As the book begins, Jonah does not tell us very much about himself, only that he was the son of Amittai. We do, however, learn a little bit more about Jonah from one other place in Scripture. Speaking of Israel's King Jeroboam II, 2 Kings 14.25 says that he restored the border of Israel according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was of Gath-Hefer. We learn from that verse that Jonah was from Gath-Hefer and that he ministered during the reign of King Jeroboam II. Gath-Hefer was a town in the northern kingdom of Israel and was located in Galilee, about three miles northeast of Nazareth, where our Lord was raised. King Jeroboam II reigned from 793 to 753 B.C., so sometime in that 40-year time period is when the events of Jonah took place. King Jeroboam II was one of Israel's strongest military leaders. During his reign, he expanded Israel's borders and ushered in a period of great peace and prosperity. Because Israel was relieved of foreign threats at this time, their Peace and prosperity led the nation into a spirit of complacency and nationalistic pride. The attitude of superiority that resulted from increased borders and peace, and also from boasting in the fact that they were God's chosen people, had blinded both Jonah and the nation of Israel to God's purpose for the nation and being a blessing to the world so others might be saved. Because of this prevailing attitude in Israel, God sends Jonah to Nineveh to crush their pride and remind the people of Israel how they were to be showing God's mercy and love beyond their borders to all the families of the earth. Today, God's program with the nation of Israel has been temporarily set aside. And now it is the church, the body of Christ, who is God's channel of blessing and light, to the world as his ambassadors. Even though this book was written to the nation of Israel under uh, Israel's program, the book of Jonah has many principles that challenge us, the church, that challenge our love for the world and for the lost. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute, but first we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Basic Distinctions Between Prophecy and the Mystery is a full-color tract written by Pastor Cornelius R. Stamm. In this tract, Pastor Stamm very effectively makes a comparison between prophecy and the mystery, giving scripture to prove the distinctions. It is a great tool to share the word, rightly divided. They sell in packages of 25 or 100. To order, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750. 
or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. James Montgomery Boyce wrote this, Stubbornly reluctant Jonah represents Israel's jealousy of her favored relationship with God and her unwillingness to share the Lord's compassion with the nations. The book depicts the larger scope of God's purpose for Israel, that she might rediscover the truth of his concern for the whole world, and that she might better understand her own role in carrying out that concern. Jonah is a picture of Israel. Jonah, like Israel as a whole, was commissioned by God to be a witness and a blessing to unbelievers and nations around them who were headed to God's judgment. And Jonah, like Israel as a whole, was disobedient to the will of the Lord. The book of Jonah is a narrative of a single prophetic mission. The mission begins with God's clear and unmistakable command to Jonah, Go to Nineveh, preach against it because of its sin and wickedness. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire and was situated on the eastern bank of the Tigris River. It was a large metropolis. And Jonah describes Nineveh in chapter 3, verse 3, as an exceeding great city. From historical records, it's been determined that Nineveh was one of the largest cities in the world in Jonah's day. The population of Nineveh has been established to have been at least 600,000 and perhaps as much as 1 million people. Jonah chapter 4, verse 11, speaks of Nineveh's children who could not discern between their right hand and their left hand, and that number being 120,000. Now, conservatively allowing this age group to be one-fifth of the population is how we arrive at around 600,000. Jonah 3.3 says that Nineveh was a great city of three days' journey, a day's journey being around 20 miles. We learn that Nineveh was about 60 miles in circumference. Jonah is commanded by God to go to this massive city and preach against it and its wickedness. Now this is unique because never before had a prophet of God been sent to a heathen nation to preach against it. Normally, God called his prophets to preach against Israel and her wickedness and unbelief. And and Jonah's situation is all the more unique because Also, never before had a prophet refused to carry out his commission from the Lord. In verse 3, we learn that Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish was in the exact opposite direction of where God wanted Jonah to go and was about as far away as one could get from Nineveh and Israel. Tarshish was a coastal city in what is now Spain and was 2,500 miles to the northwest of Israel and on the opposite end of the Mediterranean Sea. Nineveh was located about 500 to 500 miles north, northeast of Gethhefer, Jonah's hometown. But Jonah wanted to go 2,500 miles the complete other way to Tarshish. After determining to flee and run away to Tarshish and to directly disobey the word of the Lord, Jonah went down to Joppa to catch a boat. He paid the fare to go to Tarshish, and he went down into the belly of the boat 
to flee from the presence of the Lord. You'd think that a prophet would know better, that you can't flee from the presence of the Lord. But Jonah was stubborn, and Jonah was hard-hearted, and Jonah was very human. Well, we shake our heads at Jonah uh, many times when you read this book. How many times have we, who have the word of the Lord, the word of God, how we too stubbornly dig in our heels, refuse to soften our hearts, and we run away, as it were, and we disobey his clear will for our lives. We've all done it. Jonah uh, himself in 4.2 tells us why he fled and why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. In that verse he says, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Jonah ran away from the Lord from his direct command because he was afraid that God's message would be successful among the Ninevites. He bristled at the prospect of God being merciful to an undeserving pagan people. Jonah did not want them saved. He wanted them judged. And sadly, this is often a mindset among believers to this day. But this is not consistent with the heart of God who desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. As we know, Jonah never made it to Tarshish. God had other plans. Jonah went from the belly of a boat to a different belly. Jonah chapter 1 verses 4 to 6 read, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship unto the sea, to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. What we see in this chapter is that while God's human servant may disobey him, when God calls upon nature to do something, it always obeys. God sent out a great wind, which literally means he hurled a great wind at the sea. This wind hit that sea with force and caused a fierce and mighty storm, which was so great that the ship was endangered with breaking up. And not only was the ship endangered with breaking up, uh, so were the men on that ship. Seasoned sailors of the Mediterranean Sea were terrified, seized with fear, and they were coming apart too. These mariners attempted to meet the crisis before them in two ways. First, by superstitiously calling upon their individual idols and gods. And second, by casting cargo over the side so that the ship would stay afloat and ride out the storm better. Both actions reveal how severe the storm really was. First, it was so bad that these heathen sailors suspected that it was an act of supernatural judgment, so they called upon their individual gods seeking to appease them and be delivered. And second, by casting their cargo overboard, they were casting their profit for their journey overboard. 
But their situation was so grave that this did not even matter. Since he was a paying passenger, Jonah was nowhere to be found on deck during the storm. He was down in his quarters in the bottom of the ship. And of all things, he was fast asleep. The ship's captain, probably checking the ship for its seaworthiness, found Jonah as he slept and woke him up and advised him of the serious situation that they were all in. You would think that the combination of his guilty conscience plus the storm would have kept Jonah awake, but he slept soundly. And often, though, when we disobey God, we enjoy a period of quiet confidence that lulls us into a false peace. The captain then commands Jonah to call upon his God in the hope that his God would do something that the other gods were showing that they could not do. Verses 7 through 10 then read, And they said, Every one to his fellow, Come, and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Still convinced, and rightly so, that this storm was a supernatural act, the sailors concluded that someone aboard the ship, must be guilty of some great crime which brought about this calamity. So they decide to cast lots to discover who it was. God sovereignly intervenes here and in, in the casting of the lots, and he causes the lot to fall upon Jonah. And this leads to Jonah being interrogated by the sailors in order to learn the nature of his offense and to get him to confess what he had done and ask him a whole bunch of questions. In the middle of the great storm, Jonah answers their questions and says that he was a Hebrew. And amazingly, he says, he was one who feared the Lord. Now that profession wasn't backed up with his practice. Jonah also answers that his God is the God of heaven, or the true God who is over all, who created all things. His God had made the sea in which they were presently in peril. And he made the dry lands, Jonah said, which they were all desperately seeking at that very moment. The sailors' response to Jonah's confession is a heightened fear than what they were already experiencing. Now they were exceedingly afraid, verse 10 says. They were afraid of the storm and for their lives before. Now they were afraid of the wrath and power of the God who was responsible for this storm and who was in control of these terrible elements in which they were all totally helpless. After Jonah had told them about disobeying God, they cry out in wonder and amazement to Jonah, and they say, Why hast thou done this? The idea behind their question being, Why have you not obeyed so great a God? How could you think that you could run away from him? Verses 11 to 17 read, Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. 
And he said unto them, Take me up, and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea rot and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. With the storm increasing in intensity, they then asked Jonah, What shall we do unto thee? Thinking that Jonah must know how his God is to be appeased. Knowing that the storm was a result of his disobedience, Jonah believed himself to be worthy of death and that the wrath of God would be appeased by it. The nobleness exhibited by Jonah in telling them to cast him into the sea is followed by the nobleness of the sailors in attempting to spare his life. They next tried to row hard through the storm to get the dry land. Row hard here literally means to dig through. They're trying to dig through those waves and storm. But they could not, it says. Their efforts were futile before an omnipotent God, and they realized that they had no other alternative than to heed Jonah's instructions. They then cry out in prayer to God and acknowledge his sovereignty and beg him to forgive them for what they were going to do. And we see how these sailors had more concern for one life than Jonah had for hundreds of thousands in Nineveh. Then they cast Jonah overboard into the raging sea, and when they did, the Mediterranean Sea immediately was calm. That massive body of water showing that God alone had raised that storm and God alone had subdued it. And now the men were even more afraid than before after seeing this side. These guys had a really tough day. At first they feared the storm, then they feared the power and wrath of Jonah's God. Then verse 16 says that they feared the Lord himself. Their fear and respect of the Lord leads them to worship and vowing vows and offering a sacrifice unto the Lord. As for Jonah, you probably know what happens next. God had miraculously prepared a unique life preserver for Jonah. If you are running from the Lord, I'm here to tell you that God loves you. God was incredibly patient and gracious with Jonah, and he is still incredibly patient and gracious when people try to run away from him now, and he wants them to turn to him. He doesn't want you to run away. He wants you to run to Him to find true peace, joy, and freedom in Christ and so that He might transform your life by His grace. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.